0: Welcome to episode 11 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. And once again, we get to open the episode with a Toronto Blue Jays trade. As we approach the trade deadline, they've been active already. So Stoughton, what are your first impressions on the big, rowdy, telez, Trevor Richards deal?
1: I really like it. I'm surprised... Honestly, that I'm not more moved by the departure of Rowdy Telles. I, I you know, at the start of the year, uh, if you go back and read the things I was writing, I was like, They better not let Randall Grichuk take at bats away from Rowdy." Like this is, this was, this was a guy who looked so good for those like two, three weeks before he got hurt last summer. Uh, in in a way that it wasn't like you know it was because the strikeouts were down, and it wasn't that he was babbipping his way to. To looking good it was like oh this looks like fundamentally a different player and a player who can harness that skill set that he has the power that he has the ability to go to all fields that you know looked like wow okay maybe something's clicked maybe something is finally here but the way that vlad has entrenched himself at first base so clearly you know for hopefully you know the blue jays should never let him play for another organization they should always pay him his money uh that's another that's a conversation i'm sure we'll have many times down the road uh, but, but, you know, that just made the DH at bats harder to come by for Rowdy. And when he had the opportunities he wasn't producing, uh, and it's just you know, the, there, there wasn't really a future here just based on the configuration of the outfield, the need to run other guys through the DH spot, the way that the Jays like to do to get guys off their feet a bit, especially the ones, you know, the Vlads and Bows of the world who want to play every single day, uh, and need to play every single day. Springer two needs to be in the DH spot. So, you know... It's uh, I I still think that there is probably some of what Rowdy was doing a couple you know those two weeks uh, in there I'd love to see him you know figure it out in Milwaukee and uh, he probably needs a good run of MLB experience more to uh, to keep working at that I don't know that being in the minors was going to be any good for him and I don't know that being in the minors for the Blue Jays made much sense right so to be able to use that and take that and get a good reliever. Uh, a legitimate big leaguer, like not a not a wipeout back of the bullpen kind of guy, but a guy who you can be comfortable bringing in to the you know sixth, seventh, maybe even eighth inning of a game uh, is real good. And then they got a depth arm in uh, in, in Bowden as well, whatever or whatever his name is. Uh, I should probably mm-hmm. know. I should probably know that. But it's really more about Trevor Richards, I think. Uh, but having more starting pitching depth at AAA is good too.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I I really started to believe in Rowdy Tellez. And he was a guy who I was probably further down on than other guys, even as he was coming up. Like I wasn't excited about him. And when he had his first splash, I wasn't really sucked in by that. But what he did last year was really compelling. Like he, he started to get those walks. He really cut down on the strikeouts. His power, I think it even kind of goes beyond some of what his stats say like his raw power is truly elite. Like if you watched him take batting practice, he was kind of the one guy who could go toe to toe with Vladdy a little bit. Like he was, he's so strong. Um, Yeah. And I, I wouldn't be totally surprised if he finds some of that, like you said, with the Brewers, if that happens though, I, you know, I don't think the blue Jays are too worried about that. You know, they don't have to be concerned about the Brewers. Like you said, they have a first base option forever uh, with Vladdy and that DH spot. It's going to have people roll through Uh, If you're gonna have someone who's a full-time DH, they really have to be elite, and I'm sure maybe we'll touch on this name a little later because he's been in the Blue Jays ether. But it needs to be Nelson Cruz, you know what I mean? Mm. Like to justify the way that you're making your roster less flexible, you have to have that guy who justifies those at bats by being one of the best of the best. And I don't think even Rowdy at his best is going to be that I'm a little bit surprised to be honest that they're able to get a you know a credible MLB reliever like you said maybe more of a mid-innings guy but I think you know potentially kind of a seventh inning guy the way Ooh. he's missing bats for talez like I didn't think talez had a lot of trade value I guess that power is something another team can tap into but you're getting three years of Richards beyond this season and I think part of that is that Richard has basically been a starter for most of his career and not a great starter. And this is sort of the first proof of concept of him as a reliever. And he's doing really well. But he has he doesn't have that track record of, okay, this guy has been a really, really good reliever for a long time. So that probably helped the Blue Jays get him. He's also not the huge Velo guy. So we mentioned that Ooh. with Simber last time. Like It seems like you can get a little bit of a discount on guys when they don't have that prototypical shutdown reliever profile and Richard is that guy because he's a fastball changeup guy but the changeup is really spectacular and you know the results matter more than how you get those results so if the Blue Jays are going to have a bullpen that doesn't have a ton of guys that throw 97 but has a bullpen with guys that get people out at the end of the day that's what matters
1: yeah I think absolutely and it's uh it's Bowden Francis Bowden Francis probably Bowden I don't know uh, which of course I am never going to get right. I'm going to reverse those names uh, for many, many more months. If, if we
0: even you know, yeah, think, think about, I think you're being optimistic him. about how many times that name is going to be said <laughs> in the future.
1: You know, he, look, he's he's having a nice year in, in AAA. I mean, he's a 25 year old, so he's you know sort of not, you know, rapidly not becoming a prospect. But that's the kind of guy where you know the Jays are. You know, we've heard them talk about Thomas Hatch thinking about you know whether he could come up and help the bullpen and not being super excited about the idea of losing him as a depth starter option because you know their their starters have been going exceptionally well obviously like that part of the that component of the team seems fine right now but it's pitching so obviously you know someone can get hurt someone can get suspended uh <laughs> very very quickly um so just having more of that also just allows them to Better utilize, you know, some of the the better options that they have, like a, like a hatch, maybe like an Anthony K, who you know we're we're seeing a bit of now. But also, you know, the, the those guys are going to get squeezed out of the bullpen picture too. Ideally, I mean, Ryan Barucky's is almost back, and there's uh, there there are you know Simber and Richards are here. There's you know Meriwether had a setback. You can go down the list, but I'm feeling good
0: about my over under on Meriwether now. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) It it sucks,
1: but yeah. uh, Hard to believe you'll see anything out of him at this point, uh, which is a shame, but yeah, no, it, uh, I don't know. It just works on a ton of levels for them. Um, And, uh, and and I agree completely with you that it it may be a little bit surprising to see a guy like Tellez get, uh, get that much in return. Um, but there are, like like you say, tools to like. And obviously the Brewers are paying attention to the Blue Jays, just picking up their picking up their cast-offs left and right.
0: Yeah, I think this this is not the end, you know, unless the Blue Jays really kind of fail to add. I think if this is it, then that's definitely something worth criticizing. But when you see those trades, and we've talked about it before, there's that contingent of Blue Jays fans who wants to say, oh, this is a minor deal, they need X. And they probably still do need the bigger fish to make all this mm. work but what they've done in the last couple of weeks like bringing in barnes who's looked really good has some yeah. intriguing pieces like again could he's a the type of guy could easily get squeezed out of the bullpen at any time but right now he's rolling and his stuff looks pretty good simber is a very legitimate guy trevor's is a guy trevor richards is a guy who's mm-hmm. missing bats like they've really brought the floor up and right now, that's kind of maybe what matters the most. Like, there is so much incompetence in this bullpen that if you took that group that they had and said, OK, we're going to add one Craig Kimbrel," that's almost not what needs to be done. Like, they needed to bring in a quantity of arms because there are so many people beyond, basically, Romano and Meza who are failing to give them good innings. So bringing in this cohort, even though none of them are elite, None of them are the like guy you want in Game Seven of the playoffs in the ninth inning or whatever. I think has made a really big difference and maybe a bigger difference than fans currently appreciate.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that's totally right. And I think well, Mesa is a is an incredible example of you know, we had, we were writing him off uh, a couple months ago, right? He was awful for a, a stretch and has been so important because uh, that's you know sometimes re- relievers do that. Tyler Chatwood is another as an example of someone who hopefully will. Will uh will come back into form, but he's another guy where, you know, I I don't know that his place is necessarily guaranteed. I don't know that Rafael Dolis is, uh, is 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 assured a spot once, you know, w- moving into August after the trade deadline, whatever they do. Like these are, uh, obviously veteran guys. Charlie trusts uh you know the the the, the front office seems to have to uh take guys out of his hands, which uh, uh which they did you know by sending Trent Thornton down uh in order to add Richards. Um, but yeah, you're, we're starting to see a nice, a nice floor of guys. Um, and also, like I say, having mesa just morph into a, a guy you can use in the eighth inning is, is
0: pretty remarkable and good for them as well. So beyond the bullpen, cause I feel like, you know, there's been so much bullpen talk here, but you know, it's inevitable, right? That's what's happening with the team. And there will be more as a deadline approaches. What else you see, as things that they can address at the trade deadline, I know that Corey Dickerson kind of represents a little bit of the bench bat we've talked about before. Um, the starting pitching has been really good, and those guys are hard to get. Is that what you, is there anything else if you're kind of putting together a wish list? Okay, here's the bullpen. What else are you looking at?
1: Yeah, I, I you know, Dickerson is an interesting one because he, like, He's a positive player, and in terms of like being a lefty bat against right-handed pitching, and and gives you, you know, adequate to better than adequate defense. But I, you know, I th- I think you can improve on that. Uh, I know my my former co-host Drew ferris loves to talk about Joey Gallo, uh, as a as a, a pipe dream, which I think is you know, uh, hard to see that fit unless you're getting rid of Dickerson. But uh, but, yeah, bring me Joey Gallo too. That's that's great. I, I think third base you could still. Definitely upgrade and they definitely have to be thinking about the rotation too, right? Like just as I was just saying like it It, it is going very well for now. It could very easily uh, Stop going in this well um, Steven max a guy maybe you're not you're not ready to, to to Give a job for the rest of the year in the rotation, you know You could probably improve on him though. I think that you know, he took a better, you know step in the right direction in the last one and and There's something still there, but obviously uh He's not what we all kind of hoped when he came out of the gates, uh, so so great. But yeah, I, I mean, I think that's probably about the list, right? You know, you want a, a lefty bat who could probably play third base. You uh, you want a, a starting pitcher if you can really get something credible and good. And, uh, and a, a Craig Kimbrell type for the back of the bullpen would be outstanding as well.
0: Yeah, that makes sense to me. I'm hesitant to believe they're going to go get that starter just because the price on on that is going to be so high. There's so many teams always looking for starting pitching. And, like, are the Blue Jays, who are kind of a playoff hopes on the edge of a knife 50-50 wildcard team, going to be the team willing to pay the highest price, especially at this front office? I'm skeptical of that.
1: Well, and you wrote about that uh, this week or last week and that, that about, you know, the guys, the, you know, the, the trades that they've made in the past. And it definitely leans towards like the clever, you know, we're going out for uh, getting a Robbie Ray and, and banking on him being better than what we've seen. And that tends to be, a, you know, a thing that they, that they like to do that they think they can get extra value out of, you know, making bets on guys who don't have that, you know, huge high trade pedigree. Uh, which maybe can change as you know the stakes get higher for them, but I think definitely is something. It's something that for me makes writing about trade candidates with the Blue Jays seem so weird because they always kind of feel like they come out of nowhere.
0: Yeah, it's I find it fun because you're kind of you're I don't know you're doing some deep sea trawling. I don't know. Do you do trawling fishing in the deep sea? Probably <laughs> not, because you'd have to get anyway. I'm bit, not yeah, good so... with fishing metaphors, <laughs> but you're, you're you're really going into the deep and trying to find some creative candidates because they do make creative trades. So I, I could see one of those happening, like you said, insurance against Mats. Someone maybe with some bullpen flexibility. That big mm-hmm. reliever wouldn't necessarily shock me if, the, if that guy had control one spot that i haven't heard talked about and it's not very sexy to be fair is uh is kind of the jonathan davis spot like i know that they have outfielders as it stands but basically that bench is like cole dickerson the bat the left-handed bat and then you've got a catcher and then espinal's the utility infielder you could probably upgrade on espinal but it's probably it might not be worth doing and then that guy like Jonathan Davis is someone who's fun and likable, but probably not a big league player. Like I would prefer to get a guy uh, who plays. Yeah, who can just give a little bit more of a bat, be that pinch runner, be that uh, late inning replacement, but give you a competent bat. Maybe give you some kind of matchup if he's left handed or yeah, probably maybe a left handed bat. I don't have an exact candidate for that, but it just seems like they're sitting on this one spot on their bench with a guy who just doesn't really play and when he does play doesn't produce anything offensively and if you're looking at the kind of upgrades you can make without you know digging into your farm system so much which they don't like to do that's one spot on the roster that doesn't seem to be examined much but I wouldn't mind seeing them go and get someone for
1: yeah that's interesting but though also I'm sort of thinking like well if, if you're if you're a pinch runner, great glove type with a little bit better bat, then maybe you're an everyday player. Maybe it's harder to harder to pry a guy like that away. I don't know if there's how much space there is between Davis and an everyday player. Because I agree, I don't think that that's what he is. Um, but yeah, he's a little misshapen, especially. I mean, it's just the lineup is just so right-handed that it would be nice to have a left-handed option instead, for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the third base thing is interesting. It's tricky to make that work. I guess kind of in an ideal scenario, you bring in a starting third baseman and then Biggio just moves around and plays matchups and then suddenly he's kind of that perfect 10th man piece that the mm-hmm. Dodgers always seem to have. Um, but yeah, again, going and getting that big third baseman at the trade deadline is tough to do. I know Chris Bryant is out there. People are starting to speculate on the Bryant-Kimbrough packages, but that is going to take a ton to make that happen. And it's hard to imagine the Blue Jays are a team that want to do that.
1: Yeah. And I think Bryant has cooled off a bit in the last month or six weeks or so as well, even though his overall numbers are still pretty strong.
0: Yeah. He's, he hasn't been a world beater lately. Uh, just moving on past the, the trade stuff, I'm sure we're going to have plenty more trade talk in, the, in the, the weeks to come before the deadline. One situation that's interesting with the Blue Jays right now that Bear's talking about is the catcher situation where we've got mm. – Reese McGuire, Danny Jansen, and a fully healthy Alejandro Kirk. Is that the exact language? Was it 100% healthy? I don't know. Whatever it is, the guy's healthy. He's ready to play. And it's become a weird scenario because McGuire produced well with the bat for quite a while. And then people were saying, well, maybe it's his job to hold down for a little bit and then Jansen came back and you know Jansen's offensive record is you know pretty poor but he also has defensive attributes that they like and they've kind of explicitly said he deserves to be there and now Kirk is you know in the minors I, rotting in the minors is probably too aggressive a language <laughs> right now but yeah. it could get that way if you know if they have Maguire and Jansen not giving them anything offensively uh, for too long and he's just sitting down then and, and Kirk you know again small sample but he's crushing AAA he's too good to hit AAA pitching at this point it's a bit of a weird spot and I'm inclined to be that guy who's pushing Alejandro Kirk and I yeah that's kind of how I feel now I think Kirk needs to be up with this team to give them the best chance to you know to win ball games at a time where one or two wins could really be the difference between getting into this wildcard game or not.
1: Yeah, I think his bat warrants it. And, and to be fair to to Atkins, you know, he he did say he thinks Jansen deserves to be here, and then quickly, you know, said, "Oh, Kirk's bad; he deserves to be here too." Uh, but it's just, I mean, you know, this is more uh, not just my interpretation, but I think most people who are are, are paying att- attention they they do really love Danny Jansen, obviously. Uh, and I think, yeah, it's I I don't I have a hard time seeing him be the guy who ends up. Uh, in Triple A, at any point, I think they think he's a big leaguer. I think he's important for handling the staff, and, uh, and that's that's just not going to change. I just, I, re- I really, that's the sense that I get. But uh, the the thing is, the beautiful thing is, in a way, uh, so, you know, Reese McGuire's bat's not going to be great for for long. We're already starting to see some signs of him cooling off a bit, which is understandable because that's who he is. And he's and, you not know, the, a good
0: hitter. Yeah, it's. Uh, uh,
1: Fans who don't look at the minor league numbers, uh, you may may have a hard time with this because I mean he was terrible last year, but like he was pretty good. He had a real nice hot streak when he's in the big leagues for the first time in 2019. Last year was bad, but then this year, you know, uh, I think if you look at his overall career numbers in the in the majors, they're much better uh, in a small sample than his numbers in the minors uh, because of it being a small sample and because you know it's just that's. There's a lot of noise in there and and he just has proven in the minors that he's just not the kind of hitter that that he maybe appears to be sometimes. So that could sort itself out, but it is a bit awkward and 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 weird, you know, I it's going to be tough to pull the rug out from under Maguire and go to Kirk, but that's, you know, I would be doing that as soon as it seems, you know, the you know, maybe a week before it seems like Maguire has run out of of steam. Uh which would be soon. But I do think that that obviously would look weird and and uh, and, and be a tough decision to make because has earned has uh, earned a spot and certainly played better than Jansen this year.
0: Yeah, I mean, the old Bill Belichick thing is that you want to be too early to move on from a player not too late. And that's to do with the aging curve. But I think it also applies when it comes to guys who are a little bit hot and outperforming. And the Blue Jays already aren't too early. Like, to be honest... Reese McGuire's last 32 plate appearances, he's hit 167, 219, 167. So Which, the, the hot, that, that's
1: about what I'd expect.
0: The hot streak is over. He's <laughs> never been a good hitter. I guess sort of if you want to do the whole you know asset management thing, technically you could send Jansen down because he has options and keep McGuire because he doesn't. But from my perspective, McGuire just isn't a guy who's worth. I mean, they made that decision in the off season. Like yeah. he's not a guy. Who's worth holding on to at the expense of something else? Like Jansen, like you said, is a guy they value. The way he handles a staff, the way he handles Ryu, I think in particular is notable. Um, Ryu's a guy who's difficult to catch. Like not meaning he's a difficult person, but just the pitch sequencing means a lot to him because he's not a raw stuff guy. He has a lot of his own ideas about how he wants to pitch. So when you do have a catcher who has a bit of a connection with him, which Jansen seems to, then that can be valuable. Yeah, I think in an ideal world, like Kirk is starting most of the time and Jansen's catching every Ryu game and a few other games because Jansen's bat hasn't warranted that. But yeah, Maguire had his hot streak. And like you said, there's probably a moment this year when his numbers were really good. And you could say, wow, his overall MLB career numbers are quite good, but he's never been able to hit. Like he, he just never has been. There's no reason to believe in it. Even when he was going, it was all like it wasn't extra base hits. Like I think he had a, no. a couple doubles, but it was all BABIP, right? Like he had like yeah. a 380 BABIP going, and that's something that can happen for any player. The Blue Jays are fortunate that for a stretch they didn't have nothing from the catcher spot because they've had that all year. But at the end of the day, if you're clinging to Reese McGuire, he's someone you can replace with you know the kind of veterans that are available at any time.
1: I think that's ultimately yeah what it comes down to. And like you say they already made that decision once. Uh it will it will or would feel weird when they when they do it, but I think that is probably what they're going to have to do. And yeah, just the thought of, the thought of Kirk's bat in this lineup uh is pretty good. Uh or even on the bench on the days when he's not in the lineup. I know again not a lefty, but uh but a guy who just keeps hitting and keeps hitting.
0: Yeah, I mean and it's interesting how the perception of Kirk has changed a little bit with Gabriel Moreno getting injured in the minor leagues, right? Like, there was that thought like, oh, this guy is charging. He is the catcher of the future. And that's, you know, there's a good case we made that all of that is still true, that he's the most talented catcher in the organization and that someday this job is going to be his and that day might not be too far away. However, you know, there was I saw quite a few kind of articles and stuff that had Kirk as a trade bait option. Mm -hmm. And now he's kind of their probable start i don't know starting depends how they feel about him and jansen but he's someone who's their most promising current and like in the short and medium term most promising catcher all of a sudden,
1: yeah you know i feel for mcguire but that it just he that he is who he is and uh i assume that you know in the the ruthless world of of major league baseball the jays are going to uh, if they haven't already come to that realization, I'm sure they have. But uh, you know, it, they they're they're going to have to make that move at some point, I think. Yeah. Uh, and and they should just they should do it before his bat makes it that much more obvious.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, to be honest, I think in the last couple of weeks it's been obvious. It's just a matter of those overall numbers. It it's the sort of mm-hmm. thing that, from yeah. a player's perspective, like if you're Maguire it's probably very hard to take because they're saying like, yeah, we know you've been good, but you aren't good. Right. And like, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. That's hard because like, if you're Reese McGuire, it's like, what do you want me to do? All I can do is be, is play. Well, I can't be better in your eyes, but at the end of the day, like I think it's still the right decision. The one the blue Jays have to make, but there is a reason why, you know, being a player in this ruthless business can be really frustrating sometimes because even, when you produce like if you get a certain perception of you then you're just not the guy teams want to go forward with or if you're in triple a and you do really well you can get that kind of quad a label and you're like well i'm doing everything i can but you know no one is taking giving me a chance and i think that's a little bit where mcguire is but i'm inclined to believe that um he'll find his way back to the majors with somebody like there's not a lot of good catching out there
1: yeah and i th- I think that i mean and uh, he's done enough this season where you know he cleared waivers the first time but I, I you know i would think there's a good chance that he doesn't this time hey everybody i just want to take a moment to tell you about our friends over at commons commons is a documentary podcast from Canada. Land. Host Archie Man takes you right into the country's dark underbelly, uncovering stories of crime, corruption, and all manner of misdeed. Previous seasons have delved into Canada's addiction to oil, the powerful dynasties that rule this country, and cops that kill with impunity. Brought to you by Canada Land, this podcast will make sure you never look at this country in the same way again. This season, Commons investigates Canada's current obsession, real estate. Real estate is by far our biggest industry, and often the only way in which Canadians can build any kind of wealth. And as the property mania of the last year has shown, People are willing to go to great lengths to get even a small piece of it. But our obsession with land is also the source of so many of our problems. From crime to corruption to segregation, Canada's history of real estate is dark indeed. Have a listen to the new season of Commons, Real Estate, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: All right. One, another thing that's interesting, the math doesn't quite line up on this, which makes me a little bit sad. And the rain out hurt yesterday, but I was hoping we'd have the Boba at at 162 discussion. It's well, not quite there. We're at the Boba at 159. But let's be honest, someone's going to take three games off over the course of a season. Like he's not yeah. Freddie Galvis. So basically, what we've seen of Boba at this point in his career is the first season of him, even though we're three years into him and part of that's COVID and part of that's him coming up in the middle of his rookie season. I think that coming into this year, there's kind of a perception of Bo that maybe he was farther along than he was because we'd seen him twice when in fact, Mm. we'd actually only seen him for a short amount of time and a little bit more caution maybe was warranted about what he was going to do this year and what kind of player he was because I think he was on 75 games coming into the season. However, he's put together, you know, another 84, giving us that full, um, yeah, full season look. And he's doing the same thing. Like, he hasn't slowed down. This is the Bo Bichette, it looks like, that we're going to get. So now we're sitting at this point, like, what is Bo Bichette in the context of Blue Jays? Is he, you know, he just made the all-star game. Is he a franchise type player that just happens to be on the same team as Vladdy uh, is he a really good starter is he someone who still has those concerns hanging over him with the defense and a little bit with his approach to the plate too I mean I guess he can be all of those things but how do you see Bo one year in for la- one season in three years right. one season <laughs>
1: uh, yeah I mean I think he's he's maybe a grade below franchise player but I think that the the, the defense, I think, is going to get better. I know he's had a, a rough week or two or whatever uh, lately after a really good stretch. And that's sort of, you know, Charlie will be the first to tell you, you know, that's that's young players. And he is still a young player. And it's it's easy to forget that sometimes exactly because of what you say, because we've seen him for this is the third season. But obviously, uh, the time has been limited. Some of that has been injury, too, which, you know, uh one hopes that, that he can avoid that more often in the, you know, in the future, but, uh, that's sometimes been part of the bow experience. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I mean, I, uh, it's weird. It, it, sometimes feels underwhelming because there's so much, you know, it, it's so electric when he's doing the thing that he does with the, with that crazy swing. And when the plane with his hair on fire and, and things are working at shortstop, but he's not like just throwing balls away on routine grounders, uh, but, but it's it's really not, and I, I looked at this in a piece that I did this week. You know, uh, There's only – I think it, I, I think it's like 5.4 wins per fan, per fan graphs. Don't quote me on that, uh, which is more over a, a season than any Blue Jays shortstop has ever had. Like only Tony Fernandez like five times and Marco Scudero have ever been over four wins for a year for a Blue Jays shortstop. And Bo's already at 2.8 this year. So he's going to – already, like by the end of this year, he should be among – he'll have one of the best Blue Jays shortstop seasons of all time and a real chance at having the best already. Uh, So that's like, that's pretty good. Like that's hard to, that's hard to call underwhelming. Um, But, but, but you know, the, the defensive errors. And I think, and this is a thing that goes back to the, you know, all of the, all of the things that have been wrong with the Blue Jays this year, the bullpen, the defense, not just his, but BGO's corner outfield. uh, It just all gets so magnified uh, when the margins are so, so thin, uh, and it, it's really easy to think things are worse than they really are. And I, you know, you look at, you look at the, uh, I, I haven't heard many updates on, uh, Tatis having trouble at short, but he had a ton of errors earlier in the year and probably, well, those are, those errors haven't gone away, uh, which, you know, not the, not the, the greatest defensive metric, but, you know, clearly like that, an indicator that something went wrong, um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that the defense, people get really, really upset about it at times. But it's, you know, guys make mistakes. It's it's uh, it's part of the process of getting better. And it's also like perfection can't be your standard. That's just not possible.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because Bichette, it's weird because, like you said, when everything's going right, it is so impressive. And it's pretty flashy, too he's better than I think I give him credit for when I'm watching the game. Even though the things he does are very visible, I think it's just a matter of the aesthetic, right? The aesthetic is him always being down 0-2 and fighting (laughs) things off. It's him playing sometimes a dubious shortstop. And so when I look at Bichette, I tend to watch him and think, oh, that's a really good player with some frustrating weaknesses. But if you take that, yeah, like you mentioned the 5.4 war, if you take it... Just zoom out a little bit and forget Vladdy doesn't exist. If you're a team that is kind of up and coming and you've got a 23 year old shortstop on sort of a five war season track and his first season in the big leagues is 32 home runs, 20 steals, and a WRC plus of 130, like there's a lot of teams that don't have a player even remotely as promising as that. Like, even in the (laughs) era of, like, the Juan Sotos and the Acuna Juniors and the Tatis Juniors and the guys seemingly breaking through right at the beginning of their career, which is part of the reason why there's some frustration around Vladi when he didn't do that. Even in that era, like, there's... Like, you think the Pittsburgh Pirates wouldn't love to have a guy like that? You think they wouldn't make him the face of their franchise? Like, it is... It is really impressive. I think that my own personal biases kind of go against some of what Bo's good at. And is he the guy who, you know, when he first came up, who's going to slug close to 600? You know, probably not. Like, he, he is probably more of a... 25 to 33 home run hitter than he is a 40 home run hitter. But at the end of the day too, coming from a shortstop, even a not great shortstop, even if he's a below average horse up and doesn't really improve that much. And he, to be clear, he's not a disaster. Like some people will tell mm-hmm. you he's a disaster. He's not a disaster. He's below average right now, but he's not a disaster. That sure. is a hell of a player. And yeah, he's one of the better players in baseball, depending on how you frame that. But he's one of the better players in baseball. He's so young in terms of making improvements it is. I think he he suffers from the thing of when someone has things that they're really good at and some things that they're a little bit bad at, we tend to focus on the weaknesses and we tend to think, oh, he's so good at these other things, presumably has the talent to bring up this other side. And even if he never does, he's an incredible building block. And yeah, I don't know. Like Again, franchise player is a tough label. Hard to know exactly what that looks like. But if he is the second best player position player on the Blue Jays behind Vladi, which isn't even necessarily clearly true with Springer and Semyon, et cetera. But in the grander scheme of things over multiple years, let's say that's him. You can win a title with the second best player that's this good, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that's I think that's absolutely right. And uh, and also, yeah, like, I mean, at the start of the year, we would have said uh, Blue Jays best player. It's George Springer. Um, and The way that Semyon has played, the way that Vlad has obviously turned into like uh, the best hitter in baseball, which is, which is amazing, uh, has helped you know overshadow uh, maybe some of the contributions that Bo makes that are positive too. Because, and also like yeah, like the just the glaring defensive mistakes do tend to leave a bigger impression than uh, than some of the little things that he does do really well.
0: Yeah, I mean, and again, but there's that part of the lizard brain that gets mad at him when he swings at things that are outside (laughs) the plate, and and I, you know, I'm like, oh, should he really be hitting second in this lineup? Like, shouldn't Springer or or Guerrero be hitting second? And there, yeah, there's so many nitpicks to have, and especially this year, you know, I think he deserves credit for adding the stolen bases to his game. Like, that's something the Blue Jays don't have a ton of, and I know it's risky to steal in front of Vladdy or whatever, but he's done that really efficiently, like it's, we've been spoiled a little bit with how good young players have been, Mm -hmm. how good Vladi has been, and even how good some shortstops have been sort of in recent generations. Like, this is a position where players like this, and I don't have all the historical data in front of me, but young shortstops hitting this well is, it is something that's really special. And it it is very easy for us to maybe not overlook Bichette, but underappreciate him to some extent. And I think that's a little bit what we're doing this year. I mean, you know, he made the all-star team again. So it's hard to say that, you know, he's not someone the fans care about. I know there's a lot (laughs) of love for him, but he it is kind of interesting how a guy who, you know, coming into this year with a couple of years of Laddie struggling looked like, I guess my impression was Bichette is maybe the best young player on this team or maybe the future of this team uh, and maybe wouldn't quite be good enough for that. Type. Like, I worried about, is Vladdy Bichette, Biggio, is that good enough as a young foundation, If especially if Bichette is the best one? And I think now my thought is, if Bichette was the best one, that would probably still be good enough. And, you know, Vladdy doing this is incredible. It's an unbelievable bonus. But I now have absolutely no doubts about, is the Blue Jays' young core good enough <laughs> to 100% build a top-notch, Year by year contender off of, and that's something I worried about. I know a lot of Blue Jays fans maybe didn't worry about that, uh, but that's something that I would have worried about coming this year, and now I don't anymore. And obviously, Vlad is the headliner of that, but Bichette being this good um, reinforces that in such a strong way. It's not like, oh, Vladdy and Biggio's okay, and Bichette's above average. It's Vladdy is unbelievable. And Bachet is really, 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 really good, and now I'm much more confident in that than I was when he'd only played 75 games over two years.
1: Yeah, it it definitely feels better than Wells and Rios and you know whoever whoever the third might have been on that <laughs> oh,
0: group. Oh man, yeah, or yeah, any Lind Hill, any oh, yeah. like Travis Snyder, the Snyder's, the you know the Rasmus, Aaron Cebia, Brett, Brett Laurie, Laurie. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and these these definitely do feel like more legit, like not you know, I mean God, cur- just so many cursed names that you, you hate <laughs> to think of guys, you know, like, oh, you know, some of those guys had really great one year bursts as well, and then it was a mirage, but that does not feel like that is the case with these guys. Like they're Which is they really, really feel like legitimate big leaguers and not you know, not Colby Rasmus crushing mistakes but still having some real glaring obviously obvious flaws, like the tools are there.
0: Because I remember, I actually wrote a piece a couple of years ago about Bichette's first season. They came up and how it mirrored Brett Laurie's in a lot of ways in terms of their age and their offensive production stuff. And I didn't do that to say, look, Bo Bichette is doomed because Brett Laurie also (laughs) sucked. I did it to say, look, we're all excited about Bo Bichette, but here's an example of... You know, this is no. There's no guarantees in this business, and he. And also, the way he, he looked. Again, we go back to the aesthetic. The way his approach looked questionable at times. To me, at that time, he looked like the kind of player that maybe it is just sort of this extreme hot streak, and maybe this way of attacking the baseball and falling behind in counts and relying on fouling everything off. Like maybe that isn't sustainable. And I still felt that a little bit last year, and this is the year where. At a certain point, you have to say, you know what, this isn't what we're used to seeing. This is not how I would draw up, how to build a really good hitter if I was starting from scratch. But at a certain point, doubting it becomes counterproductive. And when the Blue Jays drafted him, this was a big part of it. It was, you know, I'm a little different. My swing's a little different. I want a team that's not going to force me to be somebody else. I want to be myself. And I feel like the Blue Jays are that team. And that's why, you know, that's part of why he fell in the draft to where he did. Like, was a well-regarded prospect, but he he went, you know, not in the first round. He went 66th overall, I believe. Uh, and that was part of it. And so that doubt has lingered to some degree. And at a certain point, like, yeah, like I was wrong to compare him to Brett Laurie, because clearly he's way better than <laughs> Brett Laurie. And I, yeah, I was wrong to think that this way of hitting was going to be unsustainable because he keeps on doing it. And when he is on a a cold streak, it can look really, really bad. And sometimes those doubts creep back in. But hitting this sort of one season worth of at-bats threshold, uh, for me, that's kind of enough to let go of a lot of that stuff. Yeah.
1: And also the beautiful thing I I would say, you know, after bringing up all those cursed (laughs) names is also that, you know, in, in those eras, there wasn't a... An Austin Martin, Jordan Groshans, Elvis Martinez, Gabriel Moreno, Alejandro Kirk wave coming behind those guys. The Jays were kind of like that. Well, this is it. If this doesn't work, then it's then it's back to the drawing board. Uh, so they're they're in a real good place. I know everybody. You know, this month is is figuring out their ways to trade those top prospect guys. But I feel that uh, <laughs> the people who matter are not doing that
0: no there you know there's this next wave and also you know those guys can bust too like the fact mm-hmm. that everyone on this call at this wave is sort of hit other than you know this is going to be controversial Maybe say this, other than Nate Pearson uh oh, yeah. and which is not to say that Nate Pearson can't hit but the road let's say the road to him hitting is becoming steeper and twistier and more difficult to navigate yeah, not to sure. say that it'll never happen but let's call Pearson the one out of the Bobachet, Vlad Vladdy Guerrero, Kevin Biggio, Alec Manoa, age bracket that is not hitting, you're probably not going to get that level of success next time around. You know, like if you call it the Simeon Woods, Richardson, Groshans, Austin Martin, Gabo Moreno,
1: you're probably,
0: <laughs> even though, even though Vlad's like a week older than Martin. Or yeah. Something like that. <laughs> but like, okay. Yeah. Age was the wrong way to frame that, but you know what I mean? <laughs> like, let's say that those four guys are the next guys you're really excited about. Like, probably instead of getting all four, getting three out of four, you know, like two out of four are going to hit the way you want them to. So mm-hmm. I think sometimes we conceptualize like this, you know, waves crashing one after the other. And it's, it's not always going to be just like this. Like, this is about as well as this could have turned out. Guerrero is one of the best hitters in baseball. Bachette's an all-star. Bigio is a player with a lot of utility. Uh, we don't know exactly what his future looks like, but he's clearly a useful player. And Manoa you know, I think it's pretty clear already is an MLB starter at the very least. Um, You're probably not going to get that. And, you know, I don't know which Kirk kind of falls in between the two and maybe he's a Mm -hmm. starting caliber catcher. We don't know that yet. Next time around, they might not be so lucky. But this time around, it's it's fine to take a step back and appreciate like, wow, this is a heck of a group. And I think Bichette being that guy slotting behind Vadi who's more than just a starter, but truly an impact player, um, yeah, makes all the difference in terms of this cohort is for real and to, you know, not to put pressure on the front office, they're great, great folks, but if you're not able to build a winner with this cohort uh, and the financial resources they're going to have, then they kind of will have blown it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and that, that's the thing we've talked about, I think, before as well with just with regard to how meaningful 2021 is here and how, You know, uh, uh, and what I was looking at, you know, and something part of what I was writing yesterday about Vlad and like just sort of comparing him historically, it it was like if the season ended today, he's on a 196, Wade runs Creative Plus, I think. Uh, Bryce Harper 2015 was 197, and then you have to go back to Barry Bonds to find a higher one for the (laughs) first season, which is insane, but then also it makes you think, and we've talked about it before, you know, about Bryce Harper 2015. Uh, and how it might not always be this this great and how this is a moment to really capitalize on how well everything is going right now. Uh, even though I think you're right that this it, it, it's incredibly well set up to be very good for a long time.
0: All right, before we get out of here, we'll uh, just tee up the weekend series a little bit. There's not a ton to say because it's a Tampa Bay Rays again. Lots of Tampa Bay mm-hmm. Rays games. Nobody likes uh, facing the Rays. One of those teams where like, you, you look at the lineup and you're never really particularly scared or sometimes even the starter. And then at the end of the game, you've lost 4-1. Uh, one thing I just wanted to give a little bit of a second to is like, why is Ryan Yarbrough impossible for the Toronto Blue Jays to hit? <laughs> so I was just looking at Yarbrough's, his kind of splits. So first of all, he's pitched 68 innings against the Blue Jays. That's not a nothing sample. And I know I hate actually versus teams numbers in general because players on teams change, so it doesn't necessarily work. But the Jays actually have had a fairly stable lineup over the last couple of years. And he's pitched 68 innings against the Blue Jays, and that's 14.1 more than any other team. So for whatever reason, this guy just draws the Blue Jays all the time. Familiarity should make you uh, worse as a pitcher but the Blue Jays have hit 214, 253, 377 against Yarbrough, and he's got a 238 ERA. Why do you have, and you know, I guess the Blue Jays don't have this answer, so maybe be surprised if you do. but yeah, do I you, would be surprised if I do. But yeah. do you have a reason <laughs> why Yar, Ryan Yarbrough is impossible for the Toronto Blue Jays to hit? I don't.
1: I don't. I mean, I'm sure if you got into more... I don't know granular stuff just about you know the, how the matchup actually works you know where, uh, you know what his where, what his locations are or the way the Blue Jays swing path maybe you could find an answer there but obviously that all changes all the time and it's all uh, you know it's different for each individual um, yeah I, I you know it's one of those one of those delightful baseball things that's not very delightful when you're on the wrong side of it but I you know I like. Would I would I suggest to other teams that they employ their own Ryan Yarbrough as a a, a Blue Jay stopper? Like, be my guest, please. Like, I I invite I invite teams to throw guys like this at the Jays. Uh, I don't know why it is that that his you know his brand seems just so well suited to beating the Blue Jays. But I I mean, it's still a pretty small sample, and it's it, a lot of it is just coincidence. I am sure. Um, because it can't be anything else. It really, I don't see how it could be anything else.
0: Well, because he, he's not a world beater. He's like an okay starter against basically everybody else in his entire career. It is one of those things that I think that we need to separate sort of how we think of the game, analyzing it from the outside, and how players think, because there is a psych- a psychology to it in the sense that players become aware that they've always struggled against this guy. That's something that players are Mm -hmm. often incredibly aware of or that they've always dominated the guy. And and that can affect how they feel. Not everyone's going to have the same level of performance to confidence alignment. That's going to be different for all kinds of players. But Ryan Yarbrough probably got, he had some good results for whatever reason, and then he got in his head like, oh, I like pitching against the Blue Jays or I am confident pitching against the Blue Jays. And that might have helped him perform better against the Blue Jays going forward. And I think that sometimes these things, even if there isn't a profound reason for them, can roll downhill a little bit. And when Yarbrough mm-hmm. shows up on the Blue Jays schedule, like there's a couple guys in the Blue Jays lineup who roll their eyes. And they're like, oh, this fucking guy again. And I do think that there can be something to that. Is that everything? Absolutely not. But sometimes when these patterns emerge, they can perpetuate themselves a little bit from a... Like I said, yeah, from uh, X's and O's, like, why is it happening? If I had to guess it, you know, the Yarbrough pitches to the edges a lot. The Blue Jays are a little bit more aggressive. I think he can get them to swing the Bo of the world. They also don't have anyone who's sort of a particularly notable off, good off-speed hitter. Like Guriel was a good breaking mm-hmm. ball hitter in theory. Uh, and some of their other guys, like Vladi's good breaking ball hitter. But they don't have guys who are, like, known for being great sort of change-up hitters. Um but yeah, I don't think there's a profound reason at the end of the day. I think it is one of those things that happens, and it's it's kind of fun. Like you said, like uh, I have a friend who's a Red Sox fan, and he texted me when the Blue Jays traded away Rowdy Teles, <laughs> and he's like, "Oh well, you guys are never gonna catch up in the division now. Like, stupid of you to give up a Red Sox killer." So I think it, it's something that just makes it gives it adds narratives to the game. It gives more protagonists and antagonists for us to cheer on beyond just, you know, the strikes and balls and the runs that come across the plate. So I'm all for these type of storylines existing. Um, I'm sure the Blue Jays aren't.
1: Yeah, no, but, you know, it's like Pat Tabler being legendary with the bases loaded. It's like
0: (laughs) there's, there's no real reason for that, other than maybe it's easier for Pat to clear his mind than some other people. I do. Yeah, I don't like how these type of situations invite the broadcast to like deify certain players cuz if you only see Yarbrough throwing into the Blue Jays you then end up thinking he's an incredible pitcher and then you end up talking about how incredible he is for five or six innings which is maybe not ideal for Blue Jays fans
1: Yeah and also I think just to to what you were saying before but you'll hear that from you'll hear from Pat and Buck occasionally about guys that they couldn't you know couldn't touch or were or were good at uh against another thing uh, before uh, just to Prevent you from wrapping up too soon. I'm not sure if you were. Uh, but Manoa against the Rays is going to be interesting, I think, too, having seen him uh, in his most recent start. And he was real good. And I think that's going to be an interesting test this weekend uh, now that his start has been bumped back.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's 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 going to be a hell of a fall. Because he's sort of lived within a range of really not great to quite good. I mean, his debut was really good, to be fair. But, but that last start was the first, like, wow, OK, this is kind of what he looked like at AAA, but doing it in the major league So as you said, I think seeing what his follow up to that is and if he's able to build off that and do something even remotely similar, which is probably not a good bet against a team as good as the Rays, but you never know, um, that could definitely have us talking about Alec Manoa in a different way. Yeah, I think Absolutely. Oh well, you were right. My plan was to wrap up, so we'll we'll wrap up here now. Uh, we appreciate you guys. Right. Yeah, you just had the sixth sense about it. I appreciate everyone who's listening, subscribing, um, giving us reviews, and we will be back with you next week.